everybody today? Everybody good? Anybody have a good week? I had a, I had a great week this week. Especially Wednesday was particularly good. We'll get there. Before we open God's Word this morning, um, our junior high students and leaders have been at the Connect Retreat this weekend, and they are should be on their way home even as we speak. So I'm going to stop and pause, and we're going to pray for them on their trip back, and uh, that what they learned this weekend would impact their lives after they get here. So, Lord God, I just thank you this morning that we can be gathered in your house, that we can open up your Word and hear from you, and Father, I pray that as these junior high kids are on their way back this morning, that, Lord, what they took in over this weekend would be life-changing, that it would uh, inspire them as they move forward from this point. Lord, that they would be challenged and that they would be able to share that with their families and the people around them when they get back. Give them safety as they travel, Lord, and I just pray for what you are going to do through them as they get back. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22 says this. Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It's a nice verse. It's not one that we necessarily hear preached a whole bunch. But it's an interesting verse as I read a story about it this last, this past week. It was a verse that was shared between two ladies as they got together for tea and to talk about God's word. It was shared between them because one of the ladies was blind. And so she couldn't read her Bible. So she'd get together with another woman on a regular basis, and they'd, they'd read, one would read Scripture, and then they'd talk about what it was saying and what it was truly all about. And as they got together on that day, and they, they shared some tea, and they shared some snacks, and they decided to uh, open up to the book of Hebrews. And the first lady read, Let us draw near with a, heart, with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil, evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The reader of the scripture said, tell me what that me- verse means to you as I read it. And the second woman, the blind woman, looked up and, and said, it's all about this blessed assurance that Jesus gives us. And the woman that, that said that was Fanny Crosby, the famous hymn writer. And this was way back in 1873. When she wrote the words after that day, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy and whispers of love. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. As I read that and read about this story of these two women that got together to share God's word and the the 
part that, that stuck in this woman's mind as they read it together was this blessed assurance of heaven. This blessed assurance of heaven that was going to make her into something different than what she was now. As I read through that, there's all these references to vision. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Perfect submission, perfect light. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Um, Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. See, Fanny Crosby, who had been blind from birth, in hearing God's word, in, in, in thinking of the assurance of heaven that was coming, knew that it would be different for her because she would be perfected in her heavenly body. And all those things that she had ever dreamed about and thought about in her life that she had never actually seen, she would then be able to see. And see, that's, that's a good bit of how the Christian eternal life cycle works. The, the Christian cycle works this way. It, it, it begins with salvation when we come to a realization because the Holy Spirit removes the blinders from our eyes and, and we realize that we are a sinful people in need of a Savior. And we come to God and we, we ask for forgiveness and, and Jesus grants us salvation at that point. And then at, at the end of our lives, we're, we're given this assurance of heaven. And all that that means of, of perfected bodies and, and the blind will see and the lame will dance and the deaf will hear. And I'll be able to sing like somebody up on the stage this morning. We'll be perfected in this whole thing someday. And that's the story of how it is for believers. But quite frankly, that's just the beginning and the end of the story. And although both those things are understood in this great hymn, there's a middle piece that's missing. See, because the middle piece of of this Christian life cycle between salvation and glorification is sanctification. That time in between when God works on our lives, that time in between when Jesus desires to perfect us, to make us more like himself. And it's so easy to be grateful for our salvation And it's easy to look forward to our glorification when everything will be great and we will live in eternity with Jesus Christ and there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more tears. But the time of sanctification in between for many people is long. Very, very few people go from, have literally deathbed conversions where one minute they ask Jesus to be their Savior and they are saved and the next moment they enter into glory. Most of us have this time on earth where we live and where Jesus works in us and on us and hopefully through us so that we can be more like him and so that we can serve him. Jesus desires for us to be sanctified. And today we're going to look at how that played out in the life of one man, in the life of the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter appears in, in the four Gospels, of course, and, and at the end, or past the Gospels, when we get into the, into the book of Acts, Peter is a bold 
proclaimer of Jesus Christ, where he stands before the religious leaders of the day, and he looks them square in the eye, and he says, this Jesus whom you killed, that is the man in whom God raised from the dead. That is the the name in which I preach. That is the name by which I raise uh, lame men so they can walk. And if you have a problem with that, you have a problem with God. And it says that when the, the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter, they took note that they had, he had been with Jesus. This is the same man that stood on the uh, day of Pentecost and boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says that people heard in their own language what Peter was saying because the Holy Spirit was so in it that day that people were able to understand what he was saying, even if it wasn't the language that they spoke. But in between, or up to the point where where Peter becomes this incredible man of God, there's several things that happen. And there's a couple stories we're going to look at this morning because they, they talk about how, how Jesus works into the life of Peter. And it's part of our series on he said what? Because some of the things he said are so incredibly cool that we have to look and say, he said what about this fisherman? And some of them were like, he said what about this guy? Because they weren't so good. You know, for the last two Sundays I've come to church here and it's, it's been a little nervous for me because I'm a big baseball fan. In case you missed that, in case you've never seen my truck out in the parking lot with the giant cub sticker on the back, I'm a big baseball fan. And it's been kind of fun as the Cubs have gone through the season and through the playoffs and to World Series and and seeing people come up and say, hey, I'm really, I'm cheering for your boys. I I hope they do good. Even though I'm not a Cubs fan, I'm cheering for your boys. I thought, that's cool. It's encouraging. It's encouraging to be encouraged by other people. But I will say there was a couple guys, one in particular, that for about the last two weeks, every time I saw him, he just looked at me and said, go tribe. And another one looked at me last Sunday and said, you know your Cubs are going down, they're going to lose, right? Well, I got up this morning coming to church, and I was going to celebrate this glorious day. And it's such a beautiful day outside. The sun is shining. It's not 180 degrees outside. It's not 100% humidity. But I also know on days like this, especially up front because of the way the air conditioning blows in here and stuff, it can be a little cool. So I thought I'd come prepared this morning in case there was a draft. (laughs) So I hope you'll forgive me because it is a little drafty up here this morning. Probably not every week, but particularly today, it's a little drafty in here. And, and as, I, as I thought back for the last couple weeks, I thought, you know, people are really encouraging, and then some people are not so much. And, and I thought, you know, that's how it is in, in God's Word, too. When, when Jesus talks to his disciples, when, when God works into our lives, sometimes it's, it's incredibly encouraging. And then sometimes, not so much. And so this morning I want to look at, at two stories um, from the Gospels that speak to the man Peter. But before we get into those two stories, there's one verse I want to share with you, and that's, that's Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Now at this point in time, 
Jesus is beginning his ministry, and, and he, is, he has started to walk around the Galilean countryside, and he's meeting some people, a lot of which have been followers of John the Baptist. And in meeting those people, Jesus is starting to call out some of his disciples. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus comes upon fishermen. There's a lake and there's two boats out fishing. And one of the lakes sits, in one of the boats sits Simon and his brother Andrew. And they're fishing. And it says, then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And I think that that's an important verse. Because what it doesn't say is, if you guys will get out of that boat, row back in here to shore, and follow me, I will make you exactly what you're going to wind up being in life. Instead it says, I will make you to become fishers of men. See, it's a process in this whole thing. Just like when we become a believer, we don't go immediately to heaven, but God has other things in store for us, so he leaves us here on earth, and he tries to work sanctification into our lives. He wants us to be more like him, and he also wants us to be useful to him. And that's what Jesus says to Peter here. He says, if you come and follow me, I will make you to become fishers of men. It's not an I dream a genie thing where Jesus blinks and all of a sudden they're perfect. It's going to be a process. And that's how it is with each one of us as well. If you are here this morning and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says that you have that blessed assurance of heaven that Fanny Crosby talked about, that Hebrews talks about. But it also says that we have a purpose here in life, and that purpose is for us to become more Christ-like. And when Jesus confronts Peter, when Jesus works in our lives, frequently it happens in two different ways. Sometimes it's through great encouragement, where Jesus looks at Peter and says things to him that are phenomenally encouraging, and Peter gets to do really cool stuff. And other times Jesus looks at Peter and just cuts him straight to the soul and chastises him and corrects him. And see, that's how it works with us, too, I think, as believers. That there are things that God is going to allow into our lives. There are times that God's going to have things come into our lives that are going to be phenomenally encouraging to us. And then there are going to be other times that bad stuff's going to happen. Or we're going to have to learn a lesson. We're going to be chastised. But both are equally of value. So the first of the stories I want to look at this morning, they're both familiar, I think, if you've been in church for a while. The first one's in Matthew chapter 16, and it starts at verse 13. So turn Matthew 16, verse 13. And it says this. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist. And some say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, 
And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. That's some pretty cool stuff. When Jesus looks at you and changes your name from Simon to Peter and says, Peter, rock, on you I'm going to build my church. That's some pretty significant stuff. And he goes on to say that he got to that point because Peter is speaking the very words of God the Father. He says that in verse 17. In verse 18, he says, I'll build my church on you, and hell shall not prevail against it. That's pretty encouraging stuff. Then you go on and it says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's no wonder that Peter was a little inspired by this. He should have been greatly encouraged. And he was. And this was a turning point in Peter's life. And this was a point where Peter took off, I believe, in his relationship with Jesus. You know, the Bible's full of encouraging things. And I think if we went around the room and took a poll, we'd all have some verses that are encouraging to us and have at different times meant a lot to us. I'm going to give you three quick ones right right now for me. One is Ephesians 2.10 that says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're his workmanship. It's not just a quick thing, but God is working in our lives. He's crafting us to be something special. And it's crafted so that we can do good works. And it's good works that God has prepared ahead of time. It's things that God has already put into place. See, one of the great things I love about the story of Peter is this. When Jesus comes to Peter and he's in his boat, Jesus relates to Peter as a fisherman. Not as some disciple, not as a learner, not as a student. He relates to him as a fisherman. Because that's all Peter's ever known. For however long Peter has been alive at this point, he has grown up in a fishing family. And that's what he knows. And God is going to use that experience in his life to make Peter into the man that he wants him to be. See, God's not about wasting time and experience. God takes the experiences that he has poured into our lives and he wants to use those so that they may be profitable for ourselves and for others that he puts into our path. And that's what he does with Peter. He doesn't say, Peter, you know, you're a fisherman, but I was raised in a carpentry family, so let's get out some hammer and nails. He says, you follow me and I will make you become a fisher of men. Another verse I like is Philippians 4.13 that says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And of course, I think all of us love John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That what we have in a relationship with God is just because of his love for us. And there's lots of things in God's word that encourage us. But it's not encouragement alone that makes us into the people that God desires us to be. Because we all have a human nature. And sometimes our human nature gets into the way of our relationship with God. 
And when that happens, God can't just be encouraging, but sometimes God needs to correct us. So if we go on in that passage in Matthew 16, down to verse 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen. But he turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. How many verses did we leave out in the middle of this passage? One. Peter goes from rock to Satan. From from this incredibly encouraging building up Peter, you are the man. I'm going to build my church on you. You are going to be something special. I'm going to do things through you that are amazing to get behind me, Satan. So what's the difference in all of this? How do you go from rock to Satan in one verse? Well, let's look. See, Jesus' plan didn't run in line with Peter's plan. And that's where the problem came for Peter. And then Peter goes on, and he says that he wants to configure God's plan to his own desires. Look at this. He says, and Peter uh, took him aside, and he rebuked Jesus. That's a gutsy move. Maybe Jesus built him up a little bit too much. But he rebukes Jesus, and he says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Peter feels that it's okay to tell Jesus how it should work or how it will work. See, this happens again in Peter's life when Jesus and the disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane and and he is told, Jesus has told the disciples that he's going to be taken, he's going to be crucified. And when the guards show up, what does Peter do? He pulls out a little knife and he cuts off one of the guards' ears. And he says, we're going to fight. And Jesus says, no, that's not what this is about. I've come to be a ransom for many. I've come to give my life. The problem is, in this story, Jesus says, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And whenever we are in line with what God wants us to do in our lives, he can be encouraging. But there are times in our lives that we try and take God's plan and make it work for us. Or we take what God wants us to do and say, that's just not for me. And that's when God has to rebuke us, like he does with Peter. And that's when we go from rock to Satan. And it's a really, really common thing, unfortunately, where we look and we say, you know, I know that God has great plans, and I know that God has been thinking about this for eternity. But if God had just listened to me, I got a pretty good twist on this whole thing. Don't we do that? Aren't we guilty of that? I got four teenagers. They always try and twist what I want, you know. But we do that with God all the time. We want to take what God's will is and twist it so it fits better with our desires. And we even pray that way. And we say, God, I have this great plan. Please bless it. Instead of saying, God, 
Please allow me to be a part of your plan so that I can be blessed and I can bless others. And when we're not doing in God's plan, when we're looking more at the world, that's when God comes in and he has to rebuke us and put us back on the right track. And that's what he does with Peter. And I think it's interesting how quickly we can go from rock to Satan. But both are useful. Both are helpful in the process of sanctification. Like I said, God doesn't look at Peter, or Jesus doesn't look at Peter when he's in the boat and say, zap, now you're the perfect guy. Jesus looks at Peter and says, come on in out of the boat, let's walk around for three and a half years, and let me explain to you how this works. And Peter, you're going to do some good, you're going to do some not so good, and we're going to learn this together, and you are going to wind up being the rock on which I build my church. There's another story back just two chapters in the book of of, uh, Matthew. Turn back with with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to pick up at verse 22. Jesus has been teaching, and he's been doing miracles, and the people have come, and uh, some want to kill him, some want to make him king, and and Jesus is... uh, needing a break. And so in in Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 22, he talks to the disciples and he said, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time, the boat with the disciples, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against it. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command that I come to you on the water. And in one of the cool, he said, what moments of the Bible, Jesus said, come. Peter says, I want to be like you, Jesus. If you can walk on water, tell me I can do it too, because I want to be like you. And I understand that you have the power to say that. So tell me to get out of the boat and I'm coming. Jesus says, come. So what happens? So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and being and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter knew what he wanted to do. He knew that he wanted to be more like Jesus Christ. He knew that he wanted to do what Jesus was modeling. He knew that he wanted to be with Jesus, even if it meant getting out of a perfectly good boat in the middle of a storm, because how cool would it be to walk on water? In all of human history, we know of two people that walked on water. They're both in this story. And one of them is Jesus. That makes Peter a pretty special guy. So when Jesus says, come on, that's a pretty cool thing. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, 
Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Again, in the first story, Peter goes from rock to Satan. Now he goes from water walker to rock again. And the difference is, he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he looks at the stuff going on around him. And you know what? Jesus looks at him, and after letting him do the coolest thing in the world, walk on water in a storm, he criticizes him for not having enough faith. Peter getting a lame deal here? Maybe. Maybe when you compare it to the, to the rest of the guys. It says, and so when they went and they got into the boat, and when they, once they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those that were in the work, boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. See, in this story, in the, in the good part of the story, in the encouraging part of the story, Peter knew that Jesus was the Son of God. So that's why he asked him if he could come out of the boat. Peter knew that Jesus could command anything. That's why he asked him to come out of the boat. Peter, in an act of great faith, actually stepped out onto the sea and walked on water. And Jesus acknowledged Peter's faith when he said, come to me. All that's good. But then what happens? Peter's distracted by the stuff of the storm. And once he's distracted by the stuff of the storm, everything changes. He begins to sink, and Jesus questions Peter's faith, even though it was greater than the other 11 guys that are still sitting in the boat, quivering from the storm. If I'm Peter, when I get back in the boat, I have an issue with this. I'm getting back in the boat, and I'm saying, Jesus, thank you for pulling me out of the waves. That was cool. And it was really cool to walk on the water. But really, you're going to criticize my faith when these 11 guys didn't even say anything? They just sat here shaking in the boat. But that's not how God works in our lives. Unfortunately, that's how we think of things, though, a lot of the time. A lot of the time, we think that God is going to look at us, and all we need is to have Faith a little bit bigger than the guy sitting next to us. You know, there's an old saying, it says, if you're being chased by an alligator, you don't got to be faster than the alligator. What do you got to be faster than? The guy next to you, right? And that's how we tend to live the Christian life, is, is that we, we, you like that one, somebody in the back there. We, we, we tend to think of ourselves, as long as we're doing better than the people that we know around us, God must be pleased with us. But that's not how God works. Instead, God says, I have great plans for you, and my plans aren't better to, to make you better than the guy next to you. My plans are to make you fabulous and like me. It's sanctification. It's not just better than the next pagan down the line. And that's how it works. And that's why Jesus chastises Peter when he's distracted by the winds and the waves. Instead of saying, you know, Peter, compared to these other 11 guys, you are really sharp. And sometimes we kind of think that it's unfair when God takes and he criticizes or chastises us. But it's not at all. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that it is love. 
Proverbs 3.12 says this, For the Lord reproves him who he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. John 15.2 says, Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it can bear more fruit. See, being criticized by God, being challenged by God, having things in our lives come along that are hard because God allows them into our lives are not punishment. They're things to make us better. They're things to make us cling closer and harder to God. They're things to make us stare harder into the face of Jesus and not worry about the storm. And that's what we need to do. And I don't know where anybody sits this morning. I don't know what's going on in any of your lives. But I know for some of you, you're coming in here this morning and you may be able to say, you know what, this week was great, and let me tell you about my walking on the water experience. I got to do something this week that was phenomenal, that I never thought I'd do. Jesus did something in my life. God allowed me to have a part into somebody's life. Something happened this week where I saw God's hand at work in my life. And if that's the case, fabulous. And there are other people sitting here this morning and say, you know what, my week was not so good. And there's all this stuff, all this storm of the world, and I took my eyes off of Jesus and looked at the storm, and I feel like I'm sinking. And I'm gulping water. And I need Jesus to take my hand and pull me back out. It's human nature for us to think that God deserves us, or God off, uh, we deserve something from God, that God owes us something. It's also human nature to think that as long as we're doing better than the guy next to us, that that God should look on us with more favor. But God says, I want each one of you as an individual to be the person that I am going to groom you to be so that you can be useful to me. Of all the disciples, Peter was probably the most impetuous. Not the one that we would look at probably and say, there's a stable guy on which to build the church. But that's what Jesus did. Because he knew that he was going to continue to work in Peter's life. And God works on us one-on-one. You know, unfortunately, for a lot of us, we come to church on on Sunday morning, we say, we'll come together in this big group of people and and we'll we'll, we'll listen to some great music and we'll sing along with great worship stuff. And, and we'll hear God's word, and, and we'll pray that God impacts our lives with it, and we'll walk away, and then we'll come back next week. But God doesn't work nearly as much in a group like this as he does one-on-one in our lives, when we choose to take our eyes off the world and the storms of the world and focus on him. We must never get caught up in thinking that being here on Sunday morning helps us in that grading on a curve thing with God. And that as long as we know somebody who's not doing it as well as we are, that God's going to look on us with favor. God has a special plan for each one of us. And sometimes he's going to be encouraging and sometimes he's going to be rebuking, but all the time it's going to be because he loves us and because he wants us to serve him and he wants to use us to further his kingdom. You know, at the end of his life, 
or actually past the end of Jesus' life. In John 21, Jesus has, been, has died on the cross. He's been resurrected. He's come back, and he's made uh, connection with people after his resurrection. And right before he ascends back into heaven, in, in John chapter 21, we read these words. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Jesus and Peter are walking, and they're talking. You remember that Jesus forgave Peter for denying him three times, and he told Peter, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. And as they're walking, it says they saw the disciple that, uh, that Jesus loved, that's John. And verse 21 says, and when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Peter, you follow me. See, because in this conversation, Jesus has told Peter that he is going to suffer and die a martyr's death. And that, that when Peter originally, way back when, rowed his boat into shore or swam into shore to be a follower of Jesus Christ so that he could uh, become a fisher of men. Peter wasn't sure that he had signed up to be a martyr. And Jesus says, Peter, you're going to die as a martyr. And Peter looks at John, another one of Jesus' close friends, and says, but, but what about John? And, Peter, and Jesus looks right back at him and says, don't worry about John. Peter, your relationship with me has nothing to do with John. Your relationship with me has to do with me. And, and the more we realize that 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 our relationship with, with Jesus Christ is a one-on-one -on -one thing instead of a group activity, the more Jesus can work into our lives and to build us into the men and women and kids that God wants us to be. And just like when Peter and Andrew were sitting in that boat, Jesus didn't zap him into super-Christian, but said he would make him become fisher of men. That's what God has in store for each of us as well. And that making of us into people that God wants us to be involves some positive and some rebuking along the way, some encouragement and some chastising. But ultimately, as we looked at this life of Peter this morning in a real quick snapshot, I want you to notice something. When Jesus first meets Peter, he says, Peter, you follow me. And then the last thing he says to Peter here on earth, he says, Peter, you follow me. And I think that we could sum up what Jesus wants from each one of us in those few words. Follow me. Are you willing? Some days I can be able to encourage you because you do it really good. And you keep your eyes on me. And you're abiding in me. And that way I can encourage you. And some days you're going to screw it up. And Jesus is going to have to look at us and say, you need to do different. Tomorrow's going to have to be different. You got your eyes on the storm. You're worried about the stuff of the world instead of worried about the people of God. You're worried about the stuff of the world rather than about what I have in store for you. And just like Peter God desires us to be a rock 
on which he can build a church, on which he can, he can put people that we can hold them up. God desires for us to be a, a rock and, and that we can, we can deal with others and we can help them with, with their issues because we know that we have a Savior that nothing is too big for him. The same God, they can call Peter out of a boat in the storm and say, come on out here, let's take a stroll on the water. Can deal with any issue of this world. But we need to keep our eyes firmly fixed on him. That's my prayer this week for each one of us. That as life comes, if it's great and encouraging stuff, we would say, thank you, Lord, for your encouragement. Help me to be an encouragement to others. Help me to use this to further your kingdom. And if something comes that we need to be corrected, we say, Lord, thank you for loving me enough to correct me, just as a father corrects his kids. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for all the things that you tell us that help us to grow and to be the people that you desire for us to be. Lord, I thank you that that you care about us enough to correct us when we do wrong. And I thank you, Lord, that you are a loving God that also encourages us, that builds us up, that lets us know that no matter what, you loved us enough to send Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins when we were completely undeserving. Lord, in this week, I just pray that for each one of us that is in this place today, that we would help, that you would help us to keep our eyes on you so that you can work on developing us into the people that you want us to be. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.